Well, today, uh, I want to talk to you about failure. And no, we are not talking about the Chicago Bears, don't worry, but we are talking about about failure in our own lives. If I were to ask you to think of uh, the worst thing you've ever done, it wouldn't take you long to to think of one of those things. This is Element Church, so some of us are thinking only one thing, right? Uh, But you would think quickly that worst thing you've ever done. And the the problem with that is the, the worst things we've done cause the greatest regrets, the biggest fear and pain. Uh, the, 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 the largest walls in our life that keep us from getting to Jesus. It's our biggest fears that keep us from all that God wants us, or biggest failures that keep us from what God wants us to have. And I know you're, you're already thinking, wow, this is super encouraging. Glad I came to church today. I promise it's going to get encouraging because for me, it's very easy to believe I'm a failure because I failed in one area of my life. But just because I failed at something doesn't make me a failure. God's not finished with me yet. Amen? He's not finished with me yet. So if you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis, lead pastor here at Element Church. I'm so glad that you're with us today. Thanks for being our guest. I promise I won't ask you to share the worst thing you've ever done as long as I don't got to share mine with you. Deal? I hope that's a deal, all right? Uh, If you're joining us on video as well, uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, Whether you are on the other side of the planet in Djibouti, we had somebody joining us from Djibouti a few weeks ago, or whether you're here in the building on Djibouti, uh, we are glad that you are here uh, today. Thanks for being uh, our guest online as well. Quick heads up about something coming up here at Element Church on Sundays, November 5th and 12th. We're having You Choose Sundays, where you choose the worship and you choose the sermon content. So about once a year, we try to take a Sunday where I answer as many questions as I can for you and you select the songs that we sing. Uh, But every year, there's always so many more questions, great ones, that I have the time to get to. And so we're extending that this year to two Sundays. So if you go to our website, elementchurchwy.com. You can do it right now if you want to or go to the Element Church app. You can download that for free as well. Click on the You Choose graphic and then select your favorite songs and then ask your questions. Anything goes. I will answer as many questions as I can get to in those two Sundays. Super excited about that. As I said today, I want to talk to us about failure, that, that all through this series we're in called Walk This Way, uh, it's been so fun to che- teach you and challenge you and inspire you on things I've been challenged by uh, on our recent trip over to Israel when we toured the Holy Land. But listen, if I walked where Jesus walked, but never began to walk like Jesus walked, it was a wasted trip, Right? Like the point is not just to see where he walked, but to become more like Jesus. That's why we're calling the series Walk This Way. The calling for all of us, no matter who you are, is to follow Jesus or walk this way. And Maybe you're here today and you would say you're not a believer in Jesus, you're not currently following Jesus. Yes, our desire for you is that you would experience the incredible love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness of Jesus. But whether you ever put your faith in Jesus, there's no other place we'd rather you be than right here with us today. And our prayer for you is today you would know in your heart how much much God loves you. Amen, believers in the room, that you know God loves you. I know for lots of people, me included, Christians and non-Christians alike, one of the biggest hurdles for us to get over in our life is what we've done in our past. We say things like, well, God would never use me. God won't take me. God doesn't want me. You don't know what I've done. And I get it. I really do. 
There are Sundays, I'll be sitting on the front row over here during worship, right before I I come up to present God's word to you, and I will hear just the whisper of our enemy, the devil, in my heart, saying things like, you can't preach to them. Don't you know what you did? Don't you remember who you are? And he'll bring up memories of things long uh, past in my life, long forgiven by Jesus, but makes me kind of hear I'm not worthy enough to, to do this or to receive God's love. And I'm telling you, we were standing, there's a spot we were standing in Israel. Here's a picture of where we were standing on the shore of this, of this uh, sea, of, sea of Galilee. And I'm not sure I've ever felt more in my heart what I'm about to tell you now. It was overwhelming to me in the moment. That standing here on this spot overlooking the Sea of Galilee, I just felt Jesus assure me that no matter what you've done to me, I'm not done with you. And no matter what you've done to me, I'm not done with you. On that same day, uh, we went to the city of Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is super cool. Here's some pictures of the excavated ruins of Capernaum. Jesus actually took up residence in Capernaum. And so this is where he made base camp for the early part of his ministry, uh, possibly living in one of the excavated homes that we we see there. At least five of the 12 disciples uh, made their home in Capernaum before following Jesus, including Matthew, who was a tax collector, and Jesus called Matthew to follow him outside of the gates of Capernaum. Capernaum uh, is, uh, there's more miracles recorded in the town of Capernaum in the Gospels than any other town written in in Scripture. And now, uh, this was kind of cool too. Here's a synagogue. Uh, We see some pictures of a synagogue in Capernaum. It was actually in this synagogue that Jesus healed a man possessed by a demon. Jesus would go on to raise from the dead the daughter of the leader of this synagogue, brought her back to life. The Roman centurion's son was healed in Capernaum. And then Peter's mother-in-law was healed in Capernaum. So depending on how you feel about your mother-in-law, might determine how you feel about that story, whatever. Nobody in this room I know, but somebody, right? It's probably... So one of my favorite stories, though, from Capernaum is the story of the man who who was paralyzed and healed by Jesus. But it wasn't just that he was paralyzed and healed. It was that there were so many people that had packed into and outside this home where Jesus was teaching that no one else could get in. Some of you know this story. And there was four friends, we believe they were friends, who brought a paralyzed man to Jesus on a mat. But they could not get into the house. There were so many people. So they climbed on the roof, dug a hole in the roof, lowered this man down in front of Jesus. And not only did Jesus heal his paralysis, but he forgave him of his sin as well. It's this amazing story you can find in the gospel of Luke. And many people believe that the home that happened in was actually Peter, Peter's mother-in-law's home having a, a hole torn in the roof. So again, depending on how you feel about your mother-in-law, might determine how you feel about that, about that story. So in the excavation here in Capernaum, uh, there was this area here, a couple of pictures for you, that stood out to historians. In this area that you're seeing, they found ancient markings indicating a healing had, take, had taken place at this location where this home would have been. Now, there's no way to know for certain. It's not a fact or anything. But many people, including our tour guide, believes that this site was the site of Peter's mother-in-law's house. So where Peter would have lived, 
most likely where Jesus would have lived in Capernaum. His mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law, would have been healed there. And perhaps the paralyzed man was lowered through the roof to be healed right here at this site. But, but that's not even the, the biggest part of what I want to share with you. That place I want to show you before, here it is again. It was on this shore, this beach, if you will, that we were reminded of the greatest miracle of all. This here is the shore of a first century fishing port, not far from the town of Capernaum. Here's some steps, a picture of some steps here. These steps are original first century steps that if Jesus would have gone to this fishing port, which we believe he did, he would have went up and down to the water's edge on these steps. They, were, uh, uh, they remained as first century untouched steps. Here's a picture of Sabrina and I uh, on the beach uh, overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And then uh, one more picture. This here is the backdrop of what I want to look at today in Scripture. So I want you to keep this picture uh, of the Sea of Galilee and the shoreline here uh, in your minds as we continue. Because the greatest miracle of all for me is not physical healing. That's awesome, right? I, I believe God still heals, amen? That God still heals, but that's not the greatest miracle. Well, it's cool, but it's not the greatest. I, this might be borderline blasphemy, but I'm not even sure the greatest miracle is Jesus rising from the dead. Because think about it. If Jesus is God as we believe he is, then rising from the dead is a piece of cake. You can accomplish anything, right? So the greatest miracle is not physical healing. I believe the greatest miracle is the forgiveness of our sins. That I can do nothing in my power to receive forgiveness from Jesus. He came as God in the form of a man to die in our place, rise from the dead. So if I put my faith in him, my sins are forgiven. I have new life that can spend forever with him in heaven. That is an absolute and utter miracle. And it was standing on that beach that I felt what's going to be our big idea for today. I hope this is an encouraging message for us today. It's on the screens if you want to write it down as well, and it's this. No matter what I've done to him, Jesus is not done with me. Is that encouraging? No matter what I've done to him, Jesus is not done with me. It just makes me smile. So if Jesus is not done, what does he do with my past? Because all of us have a past, right? We don't want anybody to know about it, but we got it. So that's the big question we have to ask. How does Jesus respond to my past? How does Jesus respond to my past? If you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 21. It's our main scripture for today. John 21. John is the fourth book of the New Testament. Uh, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John chapter 21 is the last chapter of John. So if you get to Acts or Romans, you've gone too far, go back in your Bible. If you don't want to follow along, don't got a Bible with you, it'll all be on the screens. And as always, if you do not own a Bible, please don't leave without one. We'd love to put one in your hands for free. Ask for one at guest services or the Next Steps wall. We'll get you a Bible free of charge today. A little background to John. John was not only one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, he also wrote this letter but he was also one of the five disciples who made their home in Capernaum before following Jesus. So I told you there was Matthew. We also know, though, there was John and James. They were brothers. And then Peter and Andrew. Uh, they were all from Capernaum. All four of those last ones, John, James, Peter, Andrew, they were all fishermen. And so being fishermen from Capernaum, 
most likely that fishing port that we saw, that was their home fishing port where they would have lived their lives as fishermen around the Sea of Galilee. That that port, that setting is actually where we are reading, that's where this took place, okay? So what we're about to read, that's where that picture of the shoreline, that's where what we're about to read took place. And here in John 21, Jesus had already been arrested, crucified, placed in a sealed tomb where he was left to rot. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And now according to John, he'd appeared two times to the disciples and was about to make his third appearance when we pick up the story here. John 21, verse 3, the first part of it says this. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Which sounds pretty innocent, right, if you think about it. I mean, there's a bunch of people in the room right now thinking, that sounds good to me. Nothing wrong with a day trip for fishing. Let's, let's all go fishing, which I'll never understand, but whatever. Like I've told you before, I personally hate fishing. I know I live in Wyoming. I'm supposed to love fishing, but I don't get it. It's slimy, smelly, stinky. And last summer, I went fishing. I actually caught a fish, and I might have screamed when it wiggled. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm not afraid to admit it. I don't understand Fishing, I know many of you do, but Peter said, I'm going fishing. The next part of the verse says this, we'll come too, they all said, that's the disciples who were with him. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night, which is biblical proof that fishing is dumb. <laughs> you never catch anything. Now, here's, here's why. Somebody's thinking, go with me, we'll catch something. No, then I just won't like you and fishing, so let's not do that either. So here's why, here's why this is significant. Some of you are thinking, where are you going with this? I promise there's a point, okay? We don't know how many days after the resurrection that this was. But we do know we're talking days, just days removed from the worst thing Peter ever did. Now, I asked you earlier to think of the worst thing you've ever done. You don't want anybody to know about that. But Peter's worst things recorded in the best-selling book of all time. So feel a little bit better about your past, right? Peter doesn't have the greatest reputation up to this point. We give Peter a hard time, but some of it he brought on himself. Like one time, in the, we know from the story of Jesus, that Peter tried to correct Jesus, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. So he's got that going for him, the whole Satan thing's on his side, right? Like I've been called some bad things in my life. I don't think Jesus has ever called me Satan, but Peter heard that from, from Jesus. Then on the night Jesus was arrested, Peter literally tried to start a war. That when in the Garden of Gethsemane, which I'm preaching on next week, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the, the temple guards came to arrest Jesus. Peter stood up, pulled out his sword, and literally slashed off the ear of one of the temple guards. Now, you might be thinking, he, maybe he was an expert swordsman. I don't think he was. He was a fisherman, so most likely he was not an expert swordsman. I think Peter was aiming to take the dude's head off, missed, and got his ear instead. You know, maybe he watched too much Princess Bride. I don't know. Hello! My name is Indigo Montoya. Coming after my Savior. Prepare to die. I don't know. So Jesus is like, really, Peter? Put your sword away. And then Jesus bends down, picks up the dude's ear, puts it back on, and heals him. Now think about this. Okay, this is a side note. Okay, this is a rabbit trail. Jesus healed the person who was there to kill him. Woo. 
powerful. On top of all that, earlier that night, Peter made a commitment to Jesus. It's recorded in Matthew 26, where Peter tells Jesus, I will never deny you. Even if all these other disciples deny you, I never will. I will even die for you. Jesus tells him, actually, Peter, before the rooster crows in the morning, you'll deny three times you even know me. And sure enough, Jesus was arrested. He was taken to the, to the courtyard of the high priest. On our trip to Israel, we went to the courtyard of the high priest. We saw where Jesus was put on trial for being a blasphemer, claiming to be the, the Messiah. And there in the courtyard, John chapter 18 tells us it was cold that night, so a charcoal fire was made to warm the people. Peter stood around the charcoal fire, and people started asking him these questions. Haven't I seen you with Jesus? Aren't you one of his disciples? Don't you know him? And all three times, Peter denied he even knew Jesus. In fact, on the last time, his response was, curses on me if I've ever even met the man. Whoa. Like, talk about failure and regret. As soon as the third time he said, I've never even met the man, the rooster crowed. The Gospel of Luke tells us that when the rooster crowed after that third time, Jesus, who was in the courtyard, looked straight at Peter. And Peter overwhelmed with grief, ran away, it says, weeping bitterly. This was Peter. I mean, now we know of Peter from Acts and the writer of First and Second Peter, right? Now, this is Peter, the guy who started the first church. He walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus. He, he heard what Jesus said and saw what Jesus saw. He walked on water with Jesus to top it all off. He committed to Jesus, I will never deny you. I will even die for you. But with one phrase, he blew it. I've never even met the man. Can you imagine how haunting that would be in Peter's life. Like, I've denied Jesus before in my life, but I've never, never physically looked him in the face after I did it. That image for Peter had to be so hard to get out of his brain and out of his heart. Remember, Peter was a fisherman before he met Jesus. But three years before this, Jesus came along one day while Peter was fishing and said, Peter, I want you to stop fishing for fish and start fishing for men. Come follow me. Be a part of my mission, my plan, my kingdom. Come help me change the world. But he had blown it. Quite possibly, this was the worst thing Peter had ever done. Worst thing ever. So I think, this is my point now, so when I think Peter said, I'm going fishing, it was much bigger than a day trip on the Sea of Galilee to catch some fish. I think Peter was saying to the disciples, hey guys, I'm going to go back to do what I used to do. I'm, I'm going back to who I was before. I'm going to return to my old life. And that's, friends what so many of us do in the faith. We go back. We've already messed up, so we may as well give up and just go back fishing. We stop fighting for our marriages and battling the addiction and protecting our purity and leading our family, whatever it is, and in our spirit, we have hung up a sign that says, gone fishing. We give up, 
because we feel like we're not good enough. And here's the thing. Just because we might fail in our faith does not mean we should give up on our faith because Jesus has not given up on you. And we see that in the story. Let's keep reading. John 21, 4 through 9. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. So about the same time of day, Peter denied Jesus. This is happening. On the beach we saw. But the disciples could not see who he was. So he called out, fellows. I hear a British accent. Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did. Now, I don't know why they listened to this guy. They did not know who he was. They were expert fishermen, but some guy said, throw your nets out. So I don't know why they did what he said. I know what my smart aleck self would have said. I would have said to the guy on the beach, oh, the other side? Oh, we didn't think of that since we've been fishing all night. But thanks for the tip. That's what I would have said. They didn't. They threw the nets on the other side, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved, which is hilarious to me because that's John who wrote the letter. So he's telling everybody, hey, the favorite of Jesus said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work to clarify he didn't strip for work. He stripped so he could work. Big difference, right? Big difference. He's, this is why it takes me so long to read the Bible, I'm telling you. My ADD kicks in. He jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat, pulled the loaded net into the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over what kind of fire? A charcoal fire and some bread. What kind of fire did Peter deny Jesus around? Charcoal fire. What kind of fire did Jesus come to reinstate Peter? A charcoal fire. So the same place Peter failed, Jesus was about to forgive. The same place that held Peter's greatest regret, Jesus was about to completely restore. And notice, this is huge, I saw this after my sermon was done. I added it later. This was huge for me. Peter did not have to go find Jesus. Jesus came looking for Peter. Peter had gone fishing. He was done. Jesus said, no, I'm not done with you yet. So I'm coming to you. And then it says this. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon son of John, do you love me more than these? Literally, referring to the other disciples. So Jesus was going back to his denial. Do you love me more than these other guys like you said you did before? Is that real? An interesting note, the word in Greek that is recorded, Jesus using the word love, is an all-in kind of love. So Jesus is asking Peter, hey, are you all in with me like you said? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you, but he did not use the all-in word. He used a word that means like a friend. So yes, Lord, you know I love you like a friend. I got affection for you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me all in? 
Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you like a friend. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This time Jesus came back to the like a friend word. Do you love me like a friend? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you like a friend. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Standing on that shoreline that day, I was reminded of what I'm trying to remind us of today, that no matter what I've done to him, Jesus is not done with me. So what's he do with my past? After we've read all that now, here's the first thing Jesus does with my past. Number one is this, he takes me back. I thought I might get one amen. Anybody else glad he takes you back? My goodness. He takes me back. In this whole conversation, Jesus is saying to Peter, I'm taking you back, Peter. Not only do I still want you to be with me, but I desperately want to be with you. So I came to you and found you just as you are. When Jesus was asking Peter, do you love me? He wasn't really looking for Peter to love him more than the other men. He just wanted Peter to know that even though you made mistakes, I still love you. So feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. That you might have given up on me, Peter, but I have not given up on you. And church, he's saying the same thing to all of us today. I think there are so many people within the sound of my voice who refuse to receive the forgiveness of Jesus because you believe you failed too much. I'm not good enough. I've fallen too far. I failed too great to receive the love of Jesus. I don't deserve his grace. And you know what? You're exactly right. None of us do. It's the definition of grace. Grace means undeserved kindness. I did nothing to deserve his love for me, but he lavishes it on me anyway. That's the beauty of what Jesus does and the beauty of what Jesus did, that even though we don't deserve it, he offers it to us anyway. But if I continue to refuse the love of Jesus, I will live in continual regret until one day when Christ returns or when I pass from this life to the next, that earthly regret will turn to an eternal regret. Because I will have no more opportunity to receive the love of Jesus. But listen, there, Jesus has more for us than just forgiveness. I, forgiveness is great. If it stopped there, that'd be awesome, but there's more. And we see that in the next part of the story. John 21, 18 through the first part of 19 says this. Jesus talking here. I tell you the truth, talking to Peter. I tell you the truth, Peter. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. So there's more to Jesus than just for Forgiveness, that no matter what I've done to him, he's not done with me. So what's he do with my past? Well, he takes me back, which would be awesome if that was the only thing he did. But he goes another step further. Number two is this, he transforms me. He not only takes me back, but he transforms my life. Now, you may not see it right away in what we just read, but in those words of Jesus, 
He was saying that to Peter. That not only am I taking you back, but I'm going to transform you as well. And here's why I know that. Because before the crucifixion of Jesus, Peter thought he was courageous, but he was actually a coward. He thought he would die for Jesus, but he actually denied Jesus. He thought he would fight for Jesus, but he actually failed. But Jesus then tells him, not only will I take you back, but because I take you back, I will transform you into a new person. And here's where we see it. It's subtle, but it's there. Look at the last sentence Jesus said to Peter there. Jesus said this about his death to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Anybody know what kind of death Peter died? Physically, perhaps a worse death than Jesus. Because it's believed that Peter died a martyr's death, crucified for his faith in Jesus, upside down. Because he believed himself to be unworthy to die as his Lord had died in an upright position. So in essence, Peter actually fulfilled his initial commitment to die for his Lord. You read the book of Acts, which is the continuing story of these first disciples, the, the early church, the Christians who started following Jesus. Peter, if you read Acts, Peter is now not only forgiven, but filled with the Holy Spirit, and he is a new person. He is bold and courageous and unafraid. In fact, when he was confronted by the same people who killed Jesus, and they told Peter, stop talking about Jesus or you'll die, Peter said, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We can't stop talking about what we have seen and what we have heard. That the same Peter who denied he knew Jesus around a charcoal fire three times was now ready to be thrown into the fire if need be for this Jesus. Something had changed in Peter. That not only was he taken back, but he was transformed and listen. Not only does Jesus want to take you back, but he wants to transform you as well. In fact, I'm going to make a very bold statement, okay? It's bold, but I believe it with all my heart. That without transformation, there has been no salvation. Strong. Without transformation, there's been no salvation. Now, I'm not saying that you need to be perfect the day after you confess all your sins to Jesus, but church, there should be a change in your life. There should be a difference in your life. That the way I live and what I do and the words I say, they should begin to reflect more and more the image of Jesus and the instruction of his word. Because he takes me back, yes, but he also transforms me. 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it this way. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ, who has been forgiven, has become a what? New person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Not a new life is finished. A new life is begun. 
That's what Jesus was calling Peter to that day. That's what he's calling us to as well, a new life, a changed life. That no matter what I've done to him, Jesus is not done with me. I've used this phrase before. I heard it from someone else. I'll keep on using it again. That if you're not dead, God's not done. If you're not dead, God's not done. He takes me back. He transforms me. The last thing he does is this in the last part of verse 19. Then Jesus told Peter, follow me. After that whole conversation, hey, Peter, I'll take you back. I'll transform you. But follow me. Walk this way. I love, I love the words Jesus used to Peter in that whole conversation. When he said, hey, Peter, do you love me? Are you all in? And Peter didn't say he was. Notice that. Peter did not say he was all in. He said, I, I love you like a friend. And Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Would you just go? In my prayer earlier, I said it, right? It's good to gather, but we're called to go. And so Jesus telling Peter, feed my, feed my sheep. Just, just go. That no matter what you've done to me, Peter, I'm not done with you. You might think I am, but I'm not. And not only will I take you back, but I'll transform you, and I will transition you into a new purpose for your life. That's the third thing we see. Number three is this. He transitions me. He, he takes my old purpose, living for myself, and gives me a new purpose to live for him. To Peter, Jesus was saying, fishing's not your purpose, Peter, unless you're fishing for people. But I, I know you made mistakes. I'm not denying that. I know you blew it big time. But just because you blew it, Peter, doesn't mean you should blow your whole life up. That I will take you back I will transform you, and I will transition you into a new purpose. I know you're fishing, Peter, but would you follow me? Would you follow me? Would you feed my sheep, feed my lambs, fish for people, no matter what I've done to him? Jesus is not done with me. It's encouraging. Church, that needs to be an anchor in our souls. It should be a stake that we drive in the ground. Why? Because the voice of the enemy is strong. We have a real enemy. His name's the devil. Jesus said the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy our life. And so like me on the front row before I preach and I hear the devil say, you can't do this. Don't you remember what you did? Even though it was forgiven, he reminds me of my biggest regrets, my greatest failures. And it's in those moments where if I drive a stake in the ground, I can say literally to the devil, shut up. You have the authority as a follower of Jesus in the name of Jesus to tell the enemy to shut his mouth. Because my Jesus took me back and he transformed me, and he transitioned me into a new purpose. The stake's been driven in the ground. So I will walk on this platform in confidence, knowing this is what my God has called me to do. And you can do the same. You can do the same. 
Listen, the voice of the enemy is condemnation. Jesus doesn't condemn. Jesus convicts. There's a difference, right? You need to understand the difference. That conviction is from God meant to draw us back to him. Condemnations from the devil meant to drive us away. God didn't want you. Don't you know what you did? You're, so this is, this is a, remember, remember this, okay? That conviction says you sinned. Condemnation says you suck. It's a difference. Don't run from conviction. Run to the Lord in conviction. And don't run from God in condemnation. Stomp the devil in his teeth. Not in your own power, but the power of your risen Lord. Shut up. Shut up. So maybe you're here today and you have never put your faith in Jesus. Then today can be your day. You can put your faith in Jesus right now. I want you to think about that for a moment. And I want to ask this question. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, man, I, I believe in Jesus. I'm like Peter. I believed it, but I've blown it. And I've gone fishing. And either I need to come back to Jesus or I need to be transformed in this area or I need to just transition into my purpose, whatever it is. If that's you, you're a believer, but one of those things, you're like, yep, I'm dealing with that. Would you just let me know? Yeah, that's me. I want you to pray for me. Yeah, I'm like you keep your eyes open, by the way. It's okay. Because my hand's up too. Okay? Okay. God, in the name of Jesus, right now, I pray for those hands who boldly went up, say, yeah, that's me. Well, I don't know what anybody's dealing with, but you do. And so, Lord, I pray right now you would drive a stake in the ground in their spiritual life. And that they would know, Jesus, that you'll take them back. Yes, they got to put their faith in you and ask for forgiveness sometimes, but yet you'll take them back. Lord, I pray that you would transform areas of life that have been long lost. And Lord, would you transition us into your purpose for our lives right now in the name of Jesus. Would you do that, God? Amen. Now maybe it's, I don't know him. I've never put my faith in Jesus for forgiveness of my sins. And I'm just saying, then right now, why not now? So if you're here and you want to put your faith in Jesus, never had before in your life, and you want to forgive you and set you free, I'm going to say a prayer that I want you just to say to God, right from your heart, just silently in your heart to God, okay? Here it is. Father in heaven, I believe in Jesus. I believe he is the only way to heaven and the only plan for salvation. So Jesus, I give you me. I confess all my sins to you. Everything I've ever done, I give it to you. Wash me clean and make me new. I surrender to you. I'm gonna turn from my old life. Would you give me a new life? And would you transition me into a new purpose for my life? I want to honor you. So, Lord, take me back, transform me, and transition me into your will for my life. Thanks for loving me. I'll do my best to love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer, it's very bold to do, but I promise you it's a safe place to do it. If you prayed that prayer, would you just lift up your hand up and say, yep, that's me, Pastor Jeff. I just asked Jesus into my heart. Praise God right there. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Awesome. 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 Praise God. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. What you just experienced with your sins being forgiven, Peter experienced on that beach that day. It's awesome. You're connected now to Jesus and to other people who believe in him. Say it every time. It's the best decision you'll ever make. 
Believers in the room, you'll agree with me, it's the hardest one you'll ever live. You need help. I need help. So we wrote a devotional for you. It'll actually take you through the 21 chapters in John, one chapter a day. It's called the 21-day devotional. So if you want one, pick one up at guest services or the next steps wall. We'll get one for you, the free. And uh, if you'd also just mark on your connection card that you asked Jesus into your heart, that would be awesome. And I promise you we are not going to do anything uh, weird. We just want to celebrate with you and uh, offer you some tools to follow Jesus. I love you guys. Uh, as I said, next week we'll be looking at uh, the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We stood in the garden uh, with trees. There are trees still in the Garden of Gethsemane that are older than the time of Jesus. So tree, those trees would have been still there, which is unbelievable. I can't wait to share that message with you. Love you. Let me pray for you. And then John's got two quick things. Lord, you're so good. Thanks, God, for being a gracious, kind, and loving God. That no matter what we've done, you're not done with us. So, Lord, I pray for those coming back to you. I pray for those who need transformation. I pray for those who need to know your purpose for their life. Lord, I pray you'd reveal that to us in Jesus' name. Amen.